We are starting a new sermon series uh, this, this month, and it's called Heirs of Grace. We are heirs of grace. Think of what an heir is. A, a definition is a person who inherits or has the right of inheritance uh, to property or possessions of another following the latter's, the latter's death. Right? In other words, uh, when someone uh, passes, there's that inheritance that can be left, whether it might be a family heirloom, it might be land, it might be a physical uh, possession. It's something that is left uh, to another once one uh, passes away. We hear stories sometimes of people that are uh, rich and they don't even know it, that they're heirs and heiresses uh, and yet have no idea of of what has been left behind to them. I, I was reading about a few individuals. In 2008, there was a, a journalist student in, in there in Europe by the name of Sergei Sudev. And he was studying to be a journalist when he found out that he had, hit, he had inherited 950 million euro fortune from his uh, uncle uh, in Germany. He hadn't spoken or seen his uncle in over 10 years. And he found out that at his passing, he left them this fortune. There's a, another story about these two Hungarian brothers. Uh, they were just living in abject poverty. They were living in a cave in Budapest. They would sell uh, scraps and junk just so they could have enough uh, money to get something to eat. And they found out that they had inherited a 4 billion euro fortune from their grandmother who lived in Germany as well. Here they were living in a cave and they didn't have the understanding, they didn't know that they were billionaires. If you have family in Germany, you might want to check up on them, see if, how they're doing. These are stories that we hear. And, but when it comes to our inheritance as a Christian, when it comes to our inheritance as a son or daughter of, of God, the Bible is very clear about what we have. It doesn't hide the blessings that we have. It doesn't hide our inheritance. It doesn't hide that we are heirs and that we are blessed. And in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, it says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. What a beautiful thing to be called a child of God. To have the spirit of adoption. That at one point in our lives, uh, prior to coming to Jesus, we might have ran from God. We might have you know, wanted nothing to do with God. We might have been rebellious towards God. We might have been just uh, living our own lives, living for self. And we come to a place in our lives where we recognize the need for a Savior. We, we recognize uh, the state that we're in, and, and we cry out to Jesus, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins and make him Lord of our lives and Lord of our hearts. And the Bible says that at that moment when we receive the Son, that God becomes our Heavenly Father. And now we are entered into a heavenly family. We are part of a heavenly family where we are God's children and God is our father. That God as our father, as our heavenly father now, 
he assumes the responsibility for you and I. That at one point we weren't his and he made us his by the shedding of his uh, son's blood. And, and now he has uh, put himself responsible for you and I. That means when we have a need, God is faithful to meet that need. Whether it's a spiritual need, uh, whether it's a physical need, uh, whether it's a financial or emotional, whatever that need is, we can go to our father and petition him and bring that need before him. That he will sustain us. Throughout time of need, we're not left as orphans, the Bible says. We are his children, and as children, we are his heirs, co-heirs with Christ. It's through Jesus that we have an earthly inheritance, forgiveness of sin, salvation, peace, mercy, love, grace. The grace of God that is upon you and I as his children, that unmerited favor Thank God for his grace. And we also have an eternal inheritance, and that's, that's being in heaven with him. That's being in a place where the Bible says uh, there's no more pain, there's no more hurt, there's no more suffering. Uh, in Revelations 21.4, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death uh, or mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. That's an awesome hope that we have today. I mean, we are, if we're honest, we're living in some really chaotic times, to say the least, right? You turn on the news, and you kind of already know what's coming. It's just, uh, man, it just seems like things might be getting worse and worse. But I, I tell you what, uh, this is a good time to be saved. It's a good time to be a Christian, man. It's a good time uh, to be in the will of God. We don't have to be afraid uh, of what's going on in this world and what's going on in the political and the global scheme because uh, we serve the Most High God. We serve uh, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who controls all the governments, the Bible says. See, we have a right to God's inheritance because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, think of what you are, you Christians. You are God's children. You are joint heirs with Christ. The many mansions are for you. The palms and the harps of the glorified, they're for you. You have a share in all that Christ has and is and shall be. Truth is, is that we have these abundant blessings in Christ. But not only will we share in the blessings of Christ, and don't tune me out what I'm about to say, but we'll also share in the sufferings of Christ. See, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 17 through 8, it says this, In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. See, tonight, praise God for that, I've entitled this message, God's Plan for Suffering. Don't tune me out because I said the word suffering. See, there's, there's two truths that we're going to hear tonight is that, number one, uh, we are going to receive a great inheritance. And two, that we, we're going to suffer for it. 
Now, when I say suffer, right away people say, ooh. But you got to understand that God is always in control. It's never that we're at a point where God looks and says, man, this one took me by surprise. It's never at a point in our lives where God looks and says and scratches his head and says, how am I going to get him or her out of this one? God always, always has a plan. And sometimes when you hear the word suffering, it makes you feel uncomfortable. The thought of having to go through a trial or the thought of having to go through some type of test or some type of, of challenge. And I, and I think sometimes uh, people get hung up on that word suffering. Well, they'll, they'll say, uh, if God is such a good God, then why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow pain and why does he allow hurt? God is a good God. And let me tell you that God is a good God when you've got the victory and God is a good God when, when you feel you're struggling. God is a, a good God when you're on that mountaintop and, and you can see for miles and miles. And, and God is a good God when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. God is a good God when the check's in the mail. And God's a good God when so are the bills, right? God is a good God no matter what circumstance we might find ourselves in because God's goodness isn't defined by our circumstance or our situation or the state of the world. God's goodness is because God is good. It's because he said he's good and because he's not a man that he should lie and he doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, he says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Oh, that's encouraging. He says, therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. The Living Bible says that is why you are not already utterly destroyed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we read the scriptures, we come to find that no one is exempted from trials. No one is exempted from struggle or adversity or suffering. Even Jesus, his son, the only perfect individual throughout all of history, even he wasn't exempt to suffering. We know the suffering that took place in his life for you and I. The suffering on the cross, uh, the mockery that he endured, the beatings he endured for you and I. See, suffering is not proof that God doesn't exist. It's not proof that he's cold or distant or removed from our situation or circumstance. Uh, in fact, the opposite is true. Suffering, suffering also. When we go through times of suffering, when we go through times of trial or times of difficulty or, or hardship, we can also find ourselves right smack in the middle of God's grace, man. In, the, in his grip of grace, where, where even though we're going through it, man, the peace of God is surrounding us. We know that there's grace in our lives. We know that God is not leaving us nor forsaking us. See, someone said this, so people often think that the reality of suffering is an embarrassment to the Christian faith. But I think suffering is the greatest apologetic for Christianity that there is. I don't know the person's name who said this, but I was reading about this quote, that the person who said this, their, their, their child had experienced a really horrible accident. 
really horrible accident. And in the midst of all their pain and in the midst of all their hurt, they weren't embarrassed of their faith. But they were able to point to a God in heaven that loved them. They were able to point to a God in heaven and say that uh, God is real because he's with us. Even if this tragedy has taken place in our lives, God is with us. He's not left us nor forsaken us. See, in their suffering, they were able to point to the goodness of God. Every single one of us, saved or unsaved, will face trials. Well, we'll at some point in our lives, we'll face an adversity or a struggle or some kind of obstacle to get through. And can I tell you that adversity is not a bad thing? The abolitionist Frederick Douglass, he said this, without struggle, there can be no progress. What do you mean by that? I mean, in order to become victorious, in order to achieve, in order to move forward, there's going to have to be a struggle that you're going to go through. There's going to have to be an overcoming that's going to have to take place in your life. Uh, this is this, it's part of the way that God has desi- designed the human spirit is to want to be an overcomer, to want to be victorious, to, to want to be able to get past that obstacle. That's why people climb mountains, right? That's why people, uh, they, they run marathons. Uh, that's why uh, people will, will train and compete in, in all types of sports that will challenge their mind, their body, their spirit. Why? So that they can cross the finish line, so that they can raise their hands in victory, so that they can say, I did it, I overcame, I finished. I like, um, I like combat sports, right? You know, like MMA and, and boxing and but if I had to choose, I, I really enjoy uh, watching boxing. It's, uh, what they call it the sweet science, right? Because it's more than just two, two individuals trying to, you know, beat each other up. It's, 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 it's a contest sometimes of will, where each, each opponent, each fighter, they're trying to figure the other one out. They're trying to figure out uh, uh, their timing, and oftentimes... Uh, Boxers will train, and they'll train hard, and they'll have a game plan. And then they'll get into the ring, and they'll find that that game plan isn't, right, isn't working right, and, and it's, can they make adjustments, right? What did Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the head, right? And about a year ago, I was watching this fight. A young man, he's an up-and-coming, and he's undefeated uh, to this point. And a lot of people have high hopes for this individual, and he was fighting someone that was a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and fighting someone that had already uh, fought some, um, some, he- some, some heavy hitters. So this fight was supposed to be a challenge for him, uh, but at the same time, this, this young man was the favored. And early in the fight, around the second round, he got laid out. He didn't even see that punch, and he got laid out. And immediately he got up, and the commentators and the announcers were saying, this, this, this young man has never been here before. He's never been knocked down let alone knocked, or knocked out. Does he have what it takes to keep going? Can he make adjustments? Can he battle through this adversity? Because this young man was in, for, in, a, in a foreign place. He had never been hit so hard. His bell was rung. And throughout the fight, you could see him beginning to, to, to change. You could see that he was still going at it. And towards the end of the fight, uh, he, he caught his opponent with a mean hook to the body, and he won the fight. 
And at the end of the fight, this is what struck me. It's that this young man went to his opponent and he said, I've never been laid out before. But what you did tonight, I thank you because you taught me something. You taught me something. What was this young man telling him? This young man had to learn that in the heat of the battle, he was going to get hit and how to deal with that adversity. And there's times in our lives, we're just going to get our bells rung. We're not going to just like, where did this come from? Where did this trial come from? Where did this hardship come from? And that's where we got to say, can we battle through the adversity? Can we continue to go forward? Can we continue to fight? Can we continue to seek God even though it hurts? Can we continue to go forward? God has made us more than conquerors, overcomers. He's given us victory, the Bible says. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Another word for perseverance is endurance. But let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know what trials do? They grow us up. They mature us and they complete us. See, the Bible says that we need to face those trials, not run from those trials. And, and some of us come from backgrounds where when things got hard, it was easier to run. It was easier to quit. It was easier to say, I don't want anything to do with this. And God is maturing us, and he's growing us, and he's saying, it's okay. This isn't going to destroy you. This is going to build you up. This is going to strengthen you. This is going to cause you to grow and cause you to mature and cause you to excel in the things of God and in your, in your life. In Israel, as you leave Jerusalem and head towards the Mount of Olives, there is a brook called the Brook of Kedron. Hope I'm saying that right, Kedron. And that word Kedron, it's translated means dark or to become dark. This is a brook that David, when he was fleeing from his son Absalom, he had a cross. And the Bible says that as he crossed, he, was, he wept and he was sad. And what made it even worse was that uh, the Ark of, uh, of, of God, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it couldn't go with him any further. He had to send it back to Jerusalem. And he crossed over that brook. And it's also the same brook that Jesus crossed on the night of his betrayal. It was the same brook that he had to go by that night that Judas betrayed him and that night that he would ultimately suffer for you and I. And I thought about that, that brook, the brook of Cadron, that each and every one of us, sometimes we have our own brook of Cadron, where things look dark and things might get dark, but we got to cross it, we got to face it, and we got to go through it. When, when David crossed that brook, the Bible says that he went up to a mountain and he began to worship God. We know the story that when Jesus crossed that and he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he spent the night in prayer. And, and, and so intense was his prayer that he began to sweat those droplets of blood. But at the end of his prayer, he was able to get up and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And those times when we cross that brook, uh, that's the example that is given to us. We worship God. We dig in. We press in. 
and we seek God in prayer. And that's what gets us through those hard times. That is what gets us through those dark times. That is what gets us through those times in our lives where, God, I feel like I'm doing this by myself. No, I'm there with you. Amen. See, suffering, it doesn't push us away from God. It leads us to God. Suffering will lead us to God. The author, Ricky Jones, said this, Sufferings and afflictions are unavoidable. They are inevitable. And they are also necessary as a part of life, and especially when it comes to our relationship with God. There's just some things that God wants to show us when we come to the end of ourselves, where we're in those times where, where the trials are intense and they're hard or just going through it. Even when those trials seem like, you know, like they could be little things, flat tire on the way to work or, you know, water heater breaking. Even those little things, they, we could say, oh, why am I going through this? It's to get us to, to, to focus not on that struggle or not on what's causing that pain, but to focus on God, to focus on Christ. Remember that he is still in control. See, it says that what we suffer now, it's nothing, nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. All these things that we go through and all the assaults that we might experience throughout our Christianity or the trials or even just that when the enemy just bugs, that's nothing compared to what God has in store for you and I. We each have a personal cross to bear. It might be a health issue or the health issue of someone you love. It might be a personal relationship that, man, there's always seems to be some kind of conflict or miscommunication. Could even be persecution for believing in Jesus, for being a Christian. You might be at work and they might make fun of you or say things or even, you know, try to discriminate because you're a Christian. The Bible says that when you suffer for Christ, that's the best kind of suffering. That's a blessed suffering. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 and 14, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. He said, instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. What an awesome promise, man. We don't have to be ashamed of being a Christian. We don't have to be ashamed of Jesus. We don't have to be ashamed when it comes to the things of God. We can proudly say, I am a child of God. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. Let me tell you about the wonderful things he's done in my life. See, Peter, Peter, in his own flesh, in his own strength, in his own understanding, he failed Jesus. Remember Peter? Jesus, it's you and I until the wheels fall off. I'll never let anything happen to you, Jesus. Right? And even at the night of Jesus' arrest, it was Peter that pulled out his sword and was chopping off ears. 
But the Bible says Peter began to draw, pull back. And when asked, uh, aren't you with him? Uh, aren't you one of his disciples? It was Peter in his own strength that began to fail and began to deny Jesus. I don't know this man. And even began to swear and curse that he didn't know him. And it wasn't until Peter was restored by the Lord when, when, when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. It wasn't until Peter was restored, and it wasn't until Peter was filled with the Spirit of God that all of a sudden something changed in Peter, man. Because now he wasn't just talking the talk, he was walking the walk. That Peter became this awesome man of God and, and was bold for the things of Christ. And, and when it came time for Peter to make that decision, boldly, boldly, he was willing not only to live for Jesus, he was also willing to die for Jesus. The tradition says is that uh, Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way Jesus died. Here was an example. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own flesh. We can't do it in our own understandings. We need to partner with the Holy Spirit. We need to see God and ask God daily that his spirit would fill us so that we can overcome whatever trial, whatever obstacle might face our lives. The Bible says that the Spirit of God, he's our comforter and our helper. In Psalms 46, first two verses, it says, God is our refuge and strength. Our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Awesome, awesome. You know, the things that we go through, they pass. By the grace of God, they pass. The storm, it's only for a season. This past Monday night, did anyone see the, the fireworks in the sky, man? The lightning, the thunder, the roaring. I, I bet you there was some people in here saying the sinner's prayer, right? It was wild. We had it all, man. We had like all four seasons in one day, which is very rare here. The winds were blowing hard. Thunder was rattling the windows, lightning. The storm came. And then what happened? It went. Tuesday morning, you woke up to the sounds of birds chirping, right? The clouds parted. The sun came up. It's like, man, where does heat come from, right? Sometimes when we're in that storm, it just feels like, man, is this ever going to end? But it does. God gets us through it, man. Time and time and time again. I said the sinner's prayer that night. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Um, man, you know, uh, some of you, 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 know my, you know my wife's uh, uh, story that she uh, had... Uh, cancer about um, seven years ago. Well, today she went to the doctor six years, six years without cancer, cancer-free. God has healed her, man. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus, man. But I, I tell you what, that was a storm in our lives because it affected every one of us. It affected me as her husband. It affected my kids. It affected, you know, many uh, members of our church family. But She's the one that had to go through it. This was her battle. We were there to support. We were there to help fight along and pray with her. But 
She was the one that had to go through the treatment. She was the one that had to make that battle. She was the one that had to fight. This was her, her, her cross to bear, right? And I remember one night, it must have been about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, I woke up to the sound of her uh, praying. She was seeking God. And I just, as her husband, I said, I need, I need to get up and pray with her. And I just remember the, the Holy Spirit said, go back to bed. This has nothing to do with you. This is between me and her. That's what I heard him say. So I was obedient. I went right back to bed. <laughs> but you know what? That night, there was something taking place in her life. There was a breakthrough uh, taking place in her life. There was a battle that she was fighting, and it was between her and the Holy Spirit. She was wrestling with God that night. And you know what was taking place? She was making peace with God, but she was declaring war on the enemy. And that's what each and every one of us need to do, is we need to make peace with God. Stop running from God. Stop fighting God. Stop saying, God, why me? Why is it me that's going through this, God? This is so unfair. Make your peace with God. God, you're my savior. You said you're going to be with me, never leave me, nor forsake me. I stand on that. And then start declaring war on the devil. Devil, you're a liar. Devil, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Devil, you can't have my, my family. You can't have my children. Whatever it is that the devil might try to be attacking in your life, you declare war on the devil. See, we serve a God that isn't foreign to our pain. He understands it. He understands it better than we might even think. Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about the things that Jesus had to go through. And it says that he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. That means he understood grief. He understood hurt. He understood loss. Verse 5, it says, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole, and he was whipped so that we could be healed. The suffering that took place in the life of Jesus was not in vain. We are the heirs of God. We are the heirs and co-heirs with Christ today and the children of God because of the suffering that Jesus went through. His suffering produced fruit uh, that's going to last for eternity. And when we go through a church, there's fruit that's going to that's be produced in our lives. Because oftentimes when we go through it, people are watching and they're looking and they're saying, man, if he can go through it, if she can go through it, if they can experience what they're experiencing and still stay positive and still stay going forward, then I can do the same. And I can go forward. And I can continue to fight. That's an awesome testimony that what you're doing, that what you're overcoming, God is going to use in the life of someone else. The Bible says that we overcome the enemy by what? The word of our testimony. And by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus. When those three Hebrew boys, or young men, I should say, were thrown into the furnace, people saw them in the furnace, and they saw God with them in the furnace. And when they saw that they came out of that furnace unscathed, man, 
it made an impact in people's lives. It made an impact in the very individual that put them in that furnace. Because if you read about Nebuchadnezzar, the king that put those Hebrews in the furnace, at the end of his life, he was able to praise God. He was able to praise God. That's the power. That's the power of, uh, in the, of the impact of your testimony. What you're going through, God's going to be glorified in it. And through grace, you're going to go through what you're going to go through. Through grace, my wife and I went through what we went through. But God gets the glory, man. God gets the glory. And to him be the glory. I, I end with this as, as our worship team comes up. John 16, verse 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. It says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Those are the words of our Savior tonight, man. Take heart. I have overcome the world, man. If we can have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, just in reverence to God.